Good morning. Our scripture can be found on page 227 in the Pew Bible. It is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Jesse said to his son David, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See how your brothers fare, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Ms. Marley. It's a holiday weekend. My partner in crime is enjoying New Jersey. Many of our brothers and sisters are on vacation. So I thought maybe today we just take it easy. Just a few simple questions. Here's the first one. What is the purpose of life? Softball, really, if you think about it. Now, if we were to honestly reflect, some of us would say, oh, the purpose of life is, is to leave an impact on the world. Some of us would say that the purpose of our lives is to help raise our children and our grandchildren. All those things are good things. If we're really, really honest, I would guess that there's a part of most of us that would say that one of the chief drivers in our lives is simply trying to find happiness. About 500 years ago, the Presbyterians put together a document called the Westminster Catechism. It's a series of questions and answers. And the first question in the Westminster Catechism dealt with this issue of purpose. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is our chief purpose? Why are we here? 
And the answer is, according to the Presbyterians, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's our chief purpose? What's the reason we exist? Well, if the Presbyterians are right, and you have no idea how much it pains me to suggest that, I'm just teasing. I I grew up Presbyterian. I, I love them. If Presbyterians are right, and I think they are, the purpose of our lives ultimately is to bring glory to the living God, to the name of Jesus Christ. And then the question would be for us, okay, if that really is our purpose, to, to live every day, to undertake actions that bring glory to the name of Jesus, if that really is our purpose, then what is the chief impediment to accomplishing that purpose? What is it that keeps us from glorifying God? Friends, I would suggest that the chief barrier to the glorification of God is the complacency of Christians. The comfort of believers. Today we're in a series, we're continuing our series, Giants Will Fall. Today we're talking about comfort. I believe comfort is perhaps the most damaging giant in most of our lives. Why? What is so damaging about comfort? Well, the thing about comfort is, comfort can cause us to settle for good when God calls us to something great. Jim Collins very famously said that good is the enemy of great. Comfort causes us to settle for good, to miss the great because we settle for the easy And when our desire for comfort, complacency, safety, security, happiness become our chief desires, we cease glorifying God. I know this is not a fun topic. I mean, we took the time, we showed up on a holiday weekend, give us something fun. But here's the deal. It's not fun. But if we whip this giant, if the giant of comfort falls, it unlocks the purpose in our lives. But comfort is like a drug. If we get a little bit of it, we want a little bit more. It's not an easy giant to take down. I grew up in East Tennessee. I actually went to the same high school as Dolly Parton. I feel like you should be more impressed by that. (laughs) Not far from my parents' place is uh, the amusement park Dollywood. Some of you have probably been there before. And there's a a bald eagle sanctuary in Dollywood uh, for bald eagles that can't survive in the wild. And I don't know if you've ever had the chance to see a bald eagle up close. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. In fact, when you see them really up close, it's almost terrifying how beautiful they are. But I remember the last time we were there, there was, there's kind of a sense of sadness. Because while, while they're beautiful as they sit in their nests, have you ever seen a bald eagle fly? They go from being beautiful to being majestic. When bald eagles fly, it's, it's almost effortless what they can do. It was hard, hard to see them confined to their nests and to this habitat, even though it was the best thing for them. As beautiful as they are, when they remain in their nests, they're not fulfilling their purpose. My brothers and sisters, we were not saved by the tremendous work of our God through Jesus Christ. We were not saved to stay in the comfort of our nests. Jesus calls us to go. Matthew chapter 28, his final command, his final words as a free man according to to Matthew, his final words before he goes up to heaven. Jesus says, go. 
Go into all the world. Go into a world that's broken and messy and filled with contradiction and conflict, scars and risk. We're like eagles in so much as we are most comfortable in our nests, but if an eagle never leaves its nest, it's never going to fulfill its purpose. And if we don't leave our comfortable nests, neither will we. In the story of David and Goliath, the army of God was encamped in the valley of Elah for 40 days. And every morning, the Israelite army would get up and they would put on their armor and they'd go and form ranks across the valley from the Philistine army. And every morning, the giant Goliath would come out and he would issue his taunts against God and God's people. And every morning for 40 days, the army of Israel, backed by great God himself, said, eh, Not today. A little peckish. Let's go back to the tents and grab some breakfast. Every morning, every morning for 40 days, they chose comfort rather than to accomplish their purpose. God was on their side and they did nothing. Then the shepherd boy showed up. Amazed that God's people would choose comfort over clear action that was in front of them. And what had gone on for 40 days, David ended in 40 minutes. I think we so often settle for the lives that we have. I think we so often capitulate to things just being the way that they are. We say to ourselves, not yet, or I'm not ready. I'm not fully prepared. And the truth is that our God is a God who wants to break into our lives with salvation and freedom this day, this very moment. I love the way T.D. Jakes talks about eagles. He said, eagles don't learn to fly by flying. Eagles learn to fly by falling. If we wait for the moment it's going to be comfortable to get uncomfortable, we will settle for lives that are less than they could be. The giant of comfort has to fall or we're not going to achieve our purpose in this life, church. The giant of comfort must fall. Let's talk about how. How do we make sure we're not losing God's opportunity for our lives to comfort and complacency? Said differently, how do we overcome comfort to fulfill God's purpose? I want to talk about four things we can do. First, we have to remember that faith thrives in discomfort. Faith thrives in discomfort. I want to challenge you this week to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of fame of faith. And while while you go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, I want to challenge you to be thinking about this question. What is it that the heroes of our faith did in order to become uncomfortable? Because they had to get really, really uncomfortable in order to accomplish the task before him. How were the leaders of our faith, the heroes of our faith, uncomfortable? Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story about Noah, who built an ark when nobody had ever even heard of rain. I imagine that was a relatively uncomfortable enterprise, yes? It talks about Abraham being willing to sacrifice tremendously. It talks about Joseph coming up through the ranks of slavery. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11 says about Moses. It says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. Faith 
thrives in discomfort. Hebrews describes the great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us by saying some faced years and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Faith thrives in discomfort. Paul says it, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. There's just no way of getting around it if we want to live our lives to the full. If we want to accomplish the purpose that God has, we have to be willing to die to the comfort, the desires for comfort inside of us. Faith thrives in discomfort. I went to seminary at the Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia, Emory University, and most of my colleagues were black. I grew up in a white church, uh, grew up in a largely white community. I know many of you find that shocking because you have seen the remarkable rhythm that lives in me. Um, Here's the thing. Those, those folks who had a different skin color than I did, my brothers and sisters, it wasn't just a different skin color. A lot of my brothers and sisters who were black that I went to seminary with understood the world differently than I understood the world because we came from different experiences. And many of them understood the gospel in a nuanced way from the way I understood the gospel. And I can tell you that it wasn't always comfortable for us to be in such close proximity to, to one another because we had two different worldviews often. But here's what else I can tell you, though it wasn't comfortable. I am a better person, I'm a better pastor, and I'm a better disciple of Jesus Christ because I experienced something that was different than what I'd always experienced. Faith thrives in discomfort. The second thing that we can do to overcome comfort in order to fulfill God's purpose in our lives is to remember that the point of our lives is the glory, the fame of Jesus Christ. You know, when David showed up in the valley of Elah to bring his brothers their supplies, he found a camp overcome by complacency. They had food and tents and armor and weapons, but they weren't doing the thing that God had called them to do. And I love David's response to Goliath's taunts. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I've told you before, that's my favorite insult in the Bible. Because if you're in an argument with somebody and they call you an uncircumcised Philistine, you're going to think twice about messing with that person. But here's what else David said. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What prompted a 12-year-old boy to fight a giant? He would not abide the degradation of God's glory. What is our chief purpose? What is our chief end? It is to glorify God. Something we simply cannot do if we succumb to the giant of complacency and comfort. I have to remember my purpose is not about my happiness. It's about the glory of Christ. How do we overcome comfort to fulfill God's purpose? The third thing we have to do is to align our lives with Jesus. Do you ever find yourself comparing your life to the lives of other people? Maybe your siblings, parents, kids, friends, neighbors. Like you ever say to yourself, ah, 
you know, I don't live extra- as extravagantly as that person over there. Has anybody ever said that to themselves before? I'm the only one? Yeah, okay. Okay. We don't ever say to ourselves, ah, I don't waste as much time as that person. I think this is an interesting phenomenon. The easiest thing in the world is to compare ourselves to others and to say that we're doing okay. All of us can sit back and decide it's easier to embrace a populist lifestyle, someone else's standards. We can rationalize anything we want, but our, our task is not to imitate others. Our task is to imitate Christ. I love the way that Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He says, For you have been called for this purpose. Called for this purpose. And since Christ also suffered for you, he left you an example to follow in his steps. We've been called to the purpose. And Christ suffered, which means we're going to suffer if we follow in his steps. Our purpose is to get uncomfortable like Christ. So here's one way to frame that question. Who are we linking our lives to? Who are we linking our lives to? Am I justifying complacency in my life by saying I'm not as frivolous with my resources as that person? I don't waste as much time as the one over there. Church, that's a recipe for goodness, not greatness. Who are we linking our lives to? Who helps us decide what we should spend, where we should go, what we watch on TV, what ranks as the most important thing on our to-do list? Who are we linking our lives to? Who are we imitating? A fourth idea that helps us overcome comfort to fulfill God's purpose is to remember that time is short. I believe that when David's brothers reached the end of their lives, they reached the end of their lives with a regret. They'd waited for 40 days. They had the power of God on their side. They could have chosen to move forward, but they didn't. They chose to waste their days rather than to claim their days. It's so alluring to say to ourselves, I will wait until the next season of my life to be faithful to God, to do that thing God has called me to do. I'm going to wait till I get married. Or I'm going to wait till the kids are grown. Or I'm going to wait till I retire. I'm going to wait until the, after I enjoy that next vacation. But God wants to break into our lives right now, this moment. God knows that our time on earth is a vapor. And so does the devil. And if the enemy can convince us to stay comfortable, he will convince us to waste our days. Life is short. Perhaps you feel like you've wasted too much time already in your life. Spent a full 40 days and then some in your tent being taunted by a giant. Life is short, but there's hope. And the hope is this. God is big. God is able to restore that which is lost and broken and underutilized. Life is short. God is big. Those two phrases, when we put them together, have tremendous impact. Life is short. God is big. No, I don't have all the time in the world, but I've got enough time to do what God is calling me to do today to bring glory to the name of Christ. Life is short. God is big. Let those words loose in your hearts and minds and soul. Life is short. God is big. Do you hear that voice? Life is short. God is big. It's the voice of a giant slayer and disciple maker. Life is short. God is big. It's the voice 
of a movement starter and a church planter. Life is short. God is big. That's the voice of the compassionate soul who sells their stuff to give to those in need. Life is short. God is big. It's the voice of a teacher who pours everything she has, he has, into the life of every student they can. Because they believe those lives matter. Life is short. God is big. It's the voice of those who go into battle, real battles, because they believe in the cause of liberty. Life is short. God is big. That's the voice of the blue-collar worker who treats every day of work like it's an act of worship because, in fact, it is. I have a deep conviction that the greatest regret any of us will ever know is to stand before Christ having lived too safe and too comfortable. But we can fight complacency. We can fight at any time we ask God to help us see what it is that hangs in the balance. Faith is never just about us and our lives. God has a desire to use us and move us out to help others break free from their complacency and their comfort and their sin and their loss and their giants all to the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what happened after David killed Goliath? All of God's people is in Israel benefited. Israel threw off the yoke of the Philistines. The whole nation was set free. So here's the hardest question I'm going to ask. It's not about what is the purpose of life. Here's, here's the question. It's a, what's the purpose of your life? Here it is. Who is waiting for you to act for the cause of Christ? Maybe it's a child who's waiting for mom or dad or mom and dad to start reading them the Bible and doing family devotions so that the questions that are bubbling up in their souls can start to find answers. Who is waiting on you to act for the cause of Christ? Maybe it's the hungry person who's going to be able to feed themselves and their family because of the, the gift we make to serve this month. Who is waiting on you for the cause of Christ? Is it a coworker or a classmate who's been mourning, hurting, beaten down, waiting on someone to share the joy that comes, the hope that's found in Jesus? Who is waiting on you? God is going to cause the giants in this world to fall. God is going to cause the giants in this world to fall with or without us. But don't you want to be a shepherd that helps make it happen? So we have a choice. We can live lives of complacency, lives that pursue comfort. Or we can fulfill our purpose by doing the things that make Christ known. But we cannot do both. We cannot be comfortable and faithful. And so I wonder, is today the day the giant of comfort will fall? Is today the day that we'll claim our purpose from heaven above? Is today the day we shed the yoke of complacency and take down that action, take the, take the action that's going to bring glory to Christ? Is today that day that giants are going to fall? Friday, I took my wife and my kids and we went to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. It's a really cool museum. And um, we're walking around, and they have one exhibit about kind of the birth of flight, 
the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, around the turn of the 20th century, so 1901-1903 era. And they have a lot of stuff about the first landing on the moon, and something struck me as we were walking through the, the museum, is that a child who was born in, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, say in 1895, had a very real chance to witness both the first moment of human flight and then over 60 years later, watch as humanity landed on the moon in one lifetime. In one lifetime. And I started thinking about how the thing that we do today is tomorrow's history. How much can be done in just one lifetime? God's calling all of us. And our purpose collectively is to bring glory to Jesus. It's going to look differently in every one of our lives. We're not going to fulfill that purpose if comfort and complacency continues to hound us until that giant falls. So I ask today, church, is today the day we choose comfort? Or is today the day we choose to bring glory to Jesus Christ? Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for this day, for the assurances we find in Scripture and in our lives that you are big enough to take down our giants. God, I believe that there are probably some people in this room here today who have never claimed you as their Lord and Savior, and I I think that we should give them an opportunity, O God. For all who have not claimed you as Lord and Savior this day, to be able to pray and ask you into their lives through a simple prayer like this one. Heavenly Father, I've made many mistakes. And I've hurt others, I've hurt myself, I've hurt you. And in fact, I've wasted part of my life. Forgive me. Forgive me, O oh God. And help me claim my purpose in you. My God, even, even the people who, most of the people in this room who have claimed you as Lord and Savior for a long, long time, we have some work to do to move away from this giant of comfort, to make it, make it fall. And I pray that your Holy Spirit this day would impress upon us the urgency of this moment to do what you have called us to do. Not to be comfortable. Not to be complacent. But to use this time we have to bring glory to your name. We pray this in the name and always to the glory of Jesus. Amen.